This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I can be found on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. And if you have personalized book questions or feedback on my podcast, I can be reached at Cindy H. Burnett at att.net. Today, I am interviewing Wendy Walker. Wendy is the author of four psychological suspense novels. They have been selected by the Reese Witherspoon Book Club, The Today Show, and the Book of the Month Club, and have been optioned for both television and film. Wendy holds degrees from Brown University and Georgetown Law School, and has worked in finance and several areas of the law. As a former family attorney with training in child advocacy, Wendy draws from her knowledge of trauma and psychology to write compelling and complex characters and stories. I partner with Murder by the Book for this podcast, and Don't Look for Me can be purchased there. The link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Wendy. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to get to interview you, and this book has been getting so much attention and fabulous press, so that's very exciting. It's been really wonderful, actually, to see the response I bet it is. And I've loved all of your books. Thanks. Yeah, this one seems to combine page-turning suspense, but there's a really powerful emotional element. And I think that may have something to do with it because people are very emotional right now. And having this connection to a character on an emotional level seems to be what people are really enjoying. No, I agree completely. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Don't Look For Me? So Don't Look For Me is the story of Molly Clark. She is the mother of three, although one of her children died five years ago to the day that we first meet her. And she feels responsible for that death. She's never gotten over it. Her family has been falling apart. And she basically has a moment of emotional breakdown as she's driving back from visiting her son far away. There's a storm brewing. She's in this very remote, economically depressed town, and she walks away. She starts walking down this road, and when she comes to her senses and realizes she really wants to get back to her car and and her family, there's a man who drives by with his daughter in, in his truck, and she accepts a ride from him, and then she disappears. And so the story follows her from that moment through what happens to her. And then it also follows her daughter starting two weeks later. Her daughter's 21 and she gets a new tip about someone who saw her mother getting into this truck. And they've all given up the search for her and assumed that she's walked away from her life. But her daughter, Nicole, has never really believed it. And now she has this new piece of evidence. So she goes back to this town and investigates on her own. And so you follow both of them in alternating chapters until eventually the timelines collide and uh, the book comes to like a really fast-paced conclusion. Well, I thought that it was very clever, the shifting perspectives back and forth between the mom and Nicole, and then also the time frame. So you're at day one, then you're at day 13, and then you're back at day one. I really thought that was very, very well done. It was a way to really ramp up the suspense because the reader always knows what's going on with Molly, what's really going on. So when they are with Nicole in her chapters, there's this feeling of wanting Nicole to to figure it out. 
And that always creates a level of sort of heart pounding suspense. Well, and you know what's happened to Molly, but you don't know everything that's happened to Molly. So some of that is unfolding through Molly's story and some of it's unfolding through Nicole's. And I really thought that was great. I just really, it kind of ramped up the creep factor and like you said, the suspense factor. And then also slowly you're learning more backstory. Right. So I tried very hard to give the backstory of this family through both narratives so that you could... First of all, not get bogged down in any one chapter with too much backstory, but also see it from the different perspectives as well. What Molly thought, everyone thought of her in her house. And then all, and then from Nicole's perspective, what Nicole was feeling and what she was going through, because she was also there the day her sister died, and she has carried that guilt. And so their perspectives on what's happened to their family. It was really useful to use both perspectives to show the different sides of it. Grief is so personal. And so I thought that was fascinating that Molly is very consumed with her grief. Nicole is very consumed with her grief. And they don't really realize that other people are also having the same issue and also feel responsible. Yeah. And I always do a lot of um, research for my books. So this book, I did uh, research into the psychology of grief processing and also um, the psychology of having these types of mental breaks that cause you to act and act irrationally. But going back to the grief, uh, what's fascinating is that people can actually get stuck in the, the, the process that, that should occur to actually get through grief and get to a place where you can function again and, and find happiness again. And for Molly and Nicole, because they both feel responsible in different ways for what happened to Annie, um, and they've been living in the same house and they've never really discussed it because it's so painful, so neither one has been able to move on from the grief. How did you come up with the subject matter for this one? I was so curious as I was reading it. It's so interesting because I rarely have like personal moments that inspire a book. Sometimes it'll be something I read or just in general things that happen in life. But this was a specific moment that happened to me. And I think a lot of people will relate to it because what everyone is going through collectively around the world right now is this heightened sense of anxiety. And, and it ties into what was happening to me when this moment occurred that inspired the book. So I was actually driving back from my son's soccer game just like Molly was driving back from her son's football game. It was miles from home. My son was riding with his, his team on the bus. So I was alone, just like Molly. And it was a time of my life. This was a few years ago where just a lot of things had happened that were really upsetting that were, and that were permanent. And this game was so had been really rough physically rough some bad ref calls and there was nothing that I could do about it and I could not protect my child from the outcome of the game and it was just a really hard like cocktail of thoughts on this long drive so I pull into this gas station and just like Molly does 
And I was pumping the gas and this thought just raced through my mind as I saw the road with the cornfields, which is also described in the, in the, in the opening scene of the book. And it went on forever, just a straight line heading to nowhere. And my brain had this thought, like, just walk down that road. I, of course I didn't do, I didn't do that. I mean, I, you know, I got back in my car, but I, I started thinking about these types of thoughts. And when I went home and did research, I not only discovered where these thoughts come from, but also that the vast majority of people who disappear have walked away from their lives, have actually had that impulse and have walked away from their lives, like 99%. And from there, I did the research on what goes on in your brain when you're having these irrational thoughts. And it's actually this primitive fight or flight impulse that we still have from millions of years ago when we actually really needed it because there were predators outside our cave and we didn't know if the berry bushes would freeze too soon. And I mean, we had to, we were very vulnerable to a lot of things and we don't really need those impulses anymore, but they're still there. And anxiety triggers them. So all of us right now who are going through what we're going through and have heightened anxiety that's coming from this very primitive fight or flight instinct. And in my situation and in Molly's situation and in our collective situation now, there's nothing to fight. We're told to stay home, right? I was in the situation that day where I realized there was nothing I could do to change it. There was no fight. There was no fight to be had. Molly was feeling the same way. And so the brain switches to flight, run away. So I had that thought. There was the road in my brain. My emotional brain was like, this is terrible. Like this is painful and terrible and there's nothing to fight. So just run. And then of course the rational brain comes in and shuts it all down. But if you have too much um, emotional stuff going on, your brain actually gets really hot. It gets physically hot and the rational part like lifts away to protect itself. And then the emotional part actually starts making the decisions. So anyway, that's, that's where the idea came from. And I, I became obsessed with this notion of a woman who is in such a state that the rational part goes away and she acts on this impulse to walk away from her life. Well, I do think you get to the point where you're just feeling like there is too much, I am overloaded, and I can't go on. And certainly in Molly's situation, that would be a very believable thing, that she had just reached her breaking point. Absolutely. And I, I then I wrote the first draft of the chapter and showed it to my editor, and we went back and forth on whether I had given her enough reason. Like, would people believe that this was enough for her to walk away from her family. And I kept sort of adding to it and I, and adding to it and adding to it. And then I thought, what could be like the worst thing that you could have in your mind that would create a base of misery that uh, was already so high that when you piled on these other things that happened in this one day, it would push you over the edge. And a lot of people right now, I think are, suffering to that extent. And I don't know if that's why the book is resonating so much that it's 
this feeling of, yeah, like things, you actually can encounter things in your life that just shake your foundational security, the things that you count on every day to just your baseline of happiness. When that goes away, it's really has an impact on the level of anxiety that is present 24 seven. Well, and I think now what's really particularly difficult about the pandemic is there's nowhere to focus the frustration. It's just this invisible virus and it's hard to not have a place to focus your frustration, I think. It's incredibly difficult. And, and the fight instinct, which I think most of us are, are more comfortable with that. Like, okay, I'm you know, like, we just had a power outage on top of everything. And I was fine with that. I knew how to deal with that. I went down with all my gas tanks to the gas station. I filled them up. I got the generator working. I problem solved around the house. We are very good at fighting. What we're not good at is having nothing to fight when our lives are being severely impacted around us. These themes were very much in play, even though this was you know, well before any of the pandemic began. But for, for Molly, obviously, she, you know, she had her suffering and um, has this moment of walking away and then, and then is abducted. But for Nicole as well, she's had nothing to fight. And it, when she gets this tip, she jumps on it because she finally does have something to do. She can go to this town and follow up on this lead. And she, then it sparks something in her that she is going to find her mother or die trying. And so where she had sort of given up and accepted what everyone else believed and was, you know, just sort of wallowing in this misery, um, she, she gets her fight on as well. And in that fight, you know, she, she starts to heal. And I think it's a really powerful message because we need, we need to be empowered. We need things to do. We need like, just tell us what to do. Tell us how we can help ourselves, help other people, give us a task, let us be useful. And that's a really powerful theme in the book. I always love your book covers and you know how much I love to talk about book covers. Do you have a say in this one? Cause it is fabulous. I mean, it glimmers when you're shifting it and it's just a great, great cover. Yeah. I love the cover. I had nothing to do with it. We have a wonderful cover designer that St. Martin's Press works with. And this was the first pass. Like this just showed up and it was like, here you go. And it was just dead on. I mean, it captures, it captures the first scene of the book and the feel of the book, which is darker in setting than any of my other books. And the town actually is really a character in the book um, and takes on kind of a life of its own. And so I think this, the dirt road, you know, the, just the darkness and the rain, all of that is, it just really captures the feel of the book. I agree completely. And you were talking a little bit earlier about the cornfields, and I was going to comment that I felt that your sense of place was so strong in this book. As I was reading, I could just completely envision everything. And I think that's interesting that you were saying that the town is a character in the book, because I I felt that. Yeah, I, I I grew up in Connecticut, and it was very much based on many, many years of experiencing these towns, just, just driving through them. But when I went back to write it and really thought about what 
it was like to live in, in a town like that. I flushed it out a great deal. No, you definitely did. It was very vivid. And I always love books that have a strong sense of place. So that really resonated with me. No, I'm really glad. So are you working on anything at the present or are you just enjoying this book beginning (laughs) to be out in the world? So I wrote an Audible original actually, which will be out hopefully by the end of 2020 called Hold Your Breath. And it is, um, it's not a sequel, but it does bring back a character from my breakout thriller, All Is Not Forgotten. And it's a short, so Audible originals are shorts. They're about two hours long to listen to. They're not in print. They're just narrated. And that was just such a breath of fresh air for me because I've been dying to bring back this character and write him again. And uh, and I also had another character in mind that I had written during the pan- early stages of the pandemic, and I brought her into this book. So that's where I'm at now, and I'm going to start a new novel in the fall as soon as I'm done with all of the <laughs> virtual events and the, right. it's amazing. You would think that you'd have more time not having to be on the road, but every day I sit here at my computer and I sometimes don't move for six to 10 hours. And all I'm doing is Zooming and planning virtual events and doing email lists and trying to get the word out uh, about the book and social media management. All of that is um, incredibly time consuming. So that's what I'll be doing for the next six weeks. And then I will get back to writing something new. Well, I do think it's interesting to see how that shift has impacted time because you would think you're not traveling city to city so that would open up your windows of time. But instead, I think because everybody can be reaching everybody virtually, it seems like authors are almost busier now. Yeah. I mean, I have, I don't even know, it's got to be close to 20 events now packed into really most of them within two weeks in September and then some that go all the way into October, but a lot of interviews, a lot of Zoom events, and then a lot of written interviews and providing content, so writing articles, and it's a lot of work, and uh, which is great. I mean, I'm so great, really grateful for the opportunity to do that, but it does keep you busy, busier than I thought. It's really, it, it's really interesting that how, how it's all shifted. I keep hearing that. So that's just interesting to see, like you said, that it has completely shifted. So when you decided to do the Audible original, did you approach it the same way that you approach writing a book or did you do it differently since you were just going to be reading it versus it being published? Well, I actually am not reading it. We were very fortunate to get the narrator from All Is Not Forgotten to narrate this. So what happens is the authors write the uh, the piece. Uh, it's about 20,000 words. And we write it as a novel, as a, sh- as a short novel, but with an eye or ear towards the fact that it's going to be primarily or even exclusively um, in an audiobook format. So I actually listened to a few of the shorts to get a sense for the pacing and for the things that that made it easy to follow because with an audiobook you can't go back and say wait 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 who was wearing the the blue coat so it's important to give the listener very clear 
messaging and have it be something where they, you know, not so complicated that they would have to go back to find the clue. And so that was one of the things. And also the pacing of it, uh, having to get an entire story in that amount of time, it actually was very liberating again, because it just, you know, you just cut to the chase. So it's written in first person, which is how I wrote All Is Not Forgotten in the voice of my, you know, one of my favorite characters. And uh, and I just laid it out like here, here are all the people involved. These are his thoughts about them. And I, and it just, it was, a, it was a, a different, a really different format and, and a breath of fresh air really. Oh, that's exciting. I was just curious if the approach was different and it sounds like it is. So yeah. I'll have to keep my eye out for that one when it's up on Audible. Well, I have loved speaking with you as always. And before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've read lately that you really liked. So I have the pleasure of interviewing Ruth Ware and Friedrich Bachman in September. So I read One by One, which is Ruth Ware's latest, uh, which is great. And people should look for that in September. And Anxious People by Friedrich Bachman, which is also a very different type of read. It was nice for me to get break out of my usual thriller mode to read that. And then I read The Lions of Fifth Avenue, which was a Good Morning America pick. And what else have I read recently? Universe of Two, uh, I also listened to on my long drive to and from my son's college. And so I got on a little historical fiction kick, which was really, it was really nice actually to see the, the different pacing in different genres. And it was really good for me to step outside of my thriller zone and, uh, and see what's going on in the rest of the literary <laughs> world. Well, I've interviewed both Fiona and Stephen and those episodes have already aired and I love both those books and I really liked Ruth Ware's new one. I thought it was a clever premise and setting and I also really liked Friedrich Bachmann. So that's so exciting that you're interviewing the two of them. I'm going to have to make sure I get on that event. All of these events are on my website, which is wendywalkerbooks.com. So that event is there and there are links to all of the virtual events, but that should be a fun interview. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. As we discussed, I know that there are a lot of pulls on your time these days, but I always enjoy chatting with you and I appreciate that you joined me. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's greatly appreciated everything you're doing to help authors get the word out about their books. Oh, of course. I love it. It's so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Wendy's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.